Good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Russ. I'm part of the leadership team here. Turn with me in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Thank you, Barb. I want to share this morning on creating a place of freedom through kingdom relationships. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23 says, And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us a land of which he swore to our fathers. He brought us out that he might bring us in. We come out of darkness into the kingdom of his son. Leviticus uh, chapter 25. You're saying, can anyone preach from Leviticus? No. But it sets us up for something. Chapter 25 and verse 10, talking about the year of Jubilee. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possession and each of you shall return to his family. Proclaim liberty or freedom. The word proclaim literally means to declare or to call out. One translation has it, call the land liberty. Having come out of slavery, God was setting up a standard for the nation of Israel that was a place of liberty and freedom. That's a type for us in the New Testament. A friend of mine once said, what you get saved into is more important than what you get saved out of. So he brought us out that he might take us in. It wasn't just to get us out of the world, out of slavery, but it was to get us into his kingdom. See, in the New Testament, this land we get saved into is the kingdom as represented by the church. So understanding that God's plan is that we create a place of freedom and liberty, not bondage or control, not slavery, but freedom. In case you think that I'm just making this up, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. I want to give you a couple of New Testament scriptures. This is all introduction to what I want to share. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus preaching in Nazareth. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what Jesus started out, one of his first sermons. Second Corinthians. Are you guys seeing it quicker than I'm seeing it? Yeah. You guys are too fast. Second Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. 
Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And one more in Galatians, chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. Do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. There's a liberty in God that is life in his spirit, and it brings life. It's not a bondage. It's not a slavery. It's a liberty. But he goes on to say this. Verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. In case you haven't got it yet, you've been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We have this liberty in Christ, but it isn't an opportunity for us to meet our own needs. It's an opportunity in the Spirit for us to serve other people in love. See, if you go on and read a little bit farther, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. You ever thought about that? How is that a fruit of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes upon us and he works in us something of self-control. I want you to understand something. The only control I can see in the kingdom of God is self-control. External control is bondage. Internal control is kingdom. God likes you the way he made you. He doesn't want you to be changed from the outside. He wants you to be changed from the inside. It's not someone pushing you into a mold as it is God bringing freedom. Self-control, this is really profound, so listen to this. (laughs) Self-control is the control of self. That was my profound statement for the morning. If you were waiting for something more, Go get another cup of coffee. (laughs) See, self-control is that you can control your flesh, your emotions, your decisions. Others don't control you. When I was a young er, I realized that I had a real problem with anger. I have a, a really bad temper, and I would get angry, and I played sports. And that would come out, my temper would come out on the basketball court uh, quite a few times. And I used to always use this excuse, but that guy makes me so angry. Until the Holy Spirit began to show me that nobody else makes me angry. I choose to get angry. Because I, through the Holy Spirit, can control myself. Oh, I didn't like that. It was easier to blame someone else. These people who are misbehaving are the cause of my bad decisions. And the Holy Spirit said, said, no, the cause of your bad decisions are you. That's a heavy thought for us. That's not what I'm preaching this morning. 
All that is introduction for us. With that as a background, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is where I was going all along. Just took me a while to get to. That was the Cedic route. Matthew 18. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's a very relational expression, isn't it? Greatest means I'm greater than somebody else. It's a comparative thing. It's a relational thing. Who's the greatest? And let me tell you, the whole rest of the chapter is Jesus answering that question. We sometimes jump ahead to parts that we pull out. We're going to see that they actually fit. Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, what that means is Jesus is saying with emphasis, listen to this. I say to you that unless you are converted and become as a little child, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He sets up a characteristic for kingdom relationships. And the first characteristic is humility. Why does he choose that? Because he says God gives grace to the humble, but is opposed to the proud. You need to understand, grace is a wonderful gift, but the key that unlocks that is humility. Humility unlocks grace. Philippians 2, from verse 3, we see this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. That's to make me look good. Or conceit. That think I think I know things. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Do you see that this is the, one of the foundation characteristics of kingdom relationships? It's how we look at other people. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not count it something to be grasped, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation or emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We're being conformed into his image, which means he's working with us to work something of humility. We're not as great as we might think we are. Someone said it a couple weeks ago. We think a whole lot more of ourselves than other people. We, we're concerned that people are thinking about us all the time, but they're not. They're thinking about themselves. But he goes on and says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So not only is he talking about an attitude of humility, but one of acceptance. Do we accept each other? See, if we're humble, we can. If I'm looking to try and look good, then I might not accept you. 
because you might not make me look good. But when I'm not trying to look good, I can accept someone else. And he uses the child as the least and says, will you accept one of the least of these? What's your heart attitude? Can God speak to you through anybody? Or you say, no, no, he's got to have multiple degrees. <laughs> A thermometer. Degrees. <laughs> okay. Dad joke. So we have two characteristics for kingdom relationships, humility and acceptance. It goes on and talks about that, and I'm going to jump ahead, verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of God who is in heaven. The opposite of despising is honor. Do we honor? Are we humble? Will we accept others and will we honor them and the gift that God has in them and their uniqueness? You know, God's gone to a lot of trouble to make you unique. Think about that. In all of history, nobody's had the same fingerprint as you. You know, evolutionists can't explain that. There is no reason in evolution for that to be the case. But not just your fingerprint, your iris print, your voice print. All those things, when Jesus says, God knows the number of, head, of hairs on your head, he's saying you're unique and he values you. Let me ask you, do we honor one another? Humility, acceptance, honor. And then we'll come to another one that we're, we're getting to, okay? Verse 11, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And he tells the uh, story of the parable of a guy who had 100 sheep and he leaves them. Verse 15, then he uses a, an illustration. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now he's applying this. If you have a hard attitude of humility and acceptance and honor and someone sins against you, your concern will be for the restoring of relationship. We're still talking about relationships in the kingdom. This is not about church government or church discipline. Guys, we've taken that out of context and that's not what it's about. I'll come back to that. But if you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Where have we missed it? We made this into a court. When it's not a court at all. It doesn't say take one or two witnesses of the original sin. It's take one or two witnesses of your heart attitude in getting restored. What if someone sins against you and there were no witnesses? How do I take one or two? See, we put this in the context. I'm taking someone to, to support my side and prove my, my, uh, my argument in this court case. And that's not what it's about at all. You're looking at me very seriously here. <laughs> if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. 
But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Let me just make a comment here. I'm, I'm trying to get to my, my conclusions in a second. Church has taken that, the uh, Catholic Church for years, and made that excommunication. That's not what it says. Can a heathen or a tax collector come and gather with us when we worship Jesus? Absolutely. If they can't, none of us would ever be here. See, excommunication became a means of control by the church. Because if you were excommunicated from the Catholic Church, especially in Catholic Europe, you could not actually live. Nobody would do business with you. You would literally die. It was, it was a means of controlling people by saying, we're going to excommunicate you. This is not what it's saying. It's not saying we're going to excommunicate someone. It says we're going to treat them as a heathen, which means we're not going to listen to a whole lot that they say about Jesus and about kingdom relationships. But we're going to keep praying for them. We're going to keep loving them. I was part of a church in Adelaide a number of years ago, and we had a couple come and visit one Sunday night. There was a, a move of God happening, and there was life, and the church that they were part of didn't have a Sunday evening meeting, so they came one Sunday night and uh, just to see what was going on and went back the next Sunday morning, and the pastor had them stand in front of the, their church and excommunicated them from the church because they had visited another church and said because... Only their church was the official one. And so they were excommunicated. Now, why do they do that? Because it puts a fear into everyone else. And they said to, to the church, if you see these guys on the street, do not greet them, do not talk to them, have nothing to do with them. It's control. The opposite of being a place of freedom. And the opposite of what this is about. Verse 18, Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's not talking about just our prayers. It's talking about relationships. Can I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Forever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? It's still the same question. Up to seven times, Jesus said, I don't say to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. And he tells this story, which illustrates everything he's just said. A certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, or a whole lot of money. But he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. There was no way he was going to. He was actually asking for mercy. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. 
They laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Exactly the same words. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master, master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Let me put this in a little bit different story. There's this great king, his name is Jesus. And this guy named Russ appears before him. And he says, you have this huge debt of sin. And Russ says, don't throw me into hell. Forgive me. And Jesus says, I do. And I've washed, forgiven you of all your sin. And then Russ leaves there. And Tim said something a bit mean. And Russ gets angry. And he says, ah! (laughs) And Tim says, forgive me. And Russ says, no. Until you change, I won't forgive you. That's the story. We've been forgiven the greatest debt. And if we refuse to forgive, how can we? Okay, four points I want to make from this for this morning. First is this. You can only forgive sin committed against you. Verse 15 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you. If you have an NIV, it says if your brother sins. They've dropped two words from the Greek. I have no idea why. Every other translation has those words in it. They've dropped it, but it changes the whole thing. If your brother has sinned against you, as opposed to if your brother has sinned. In verse 21, Peter says, if my brother sins against me, how many times must I forgive him? See, if you don't understand that it's actually those who sin against you, it takes the whole issue from being a restoring of relationship to making us some sort of sin sheriffs. If your brother sins, or morality marshals. I'd like my alliteration there. I'm, I'm watching Steve's life to see if there's any sin. No, it says if your brother sins against you, Go to him alone. God's not looking for somebody to take the place of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Yet too often we become legalistic sin sheriffs trying to find out someone's sin. Like we're the Holy Spirit, we're not. But see, let me tell you this. If I tell someone else, rather than going to my brother alone, I put that other person in bondage. 
if I have a problem, if, if Steve has sinned against me, the Bible says I'm to go to Steve. But if I go to Tim instead and tell Tim, Tim is faced with a problem. He either sides with me and remains my friend, which means he takes on my offense secondhand, but he can't go to Steve and get restored because Steve didn't sin against him. I can. I can go to Steve and we can get it sorted out and leave Tim in bondage. He's stuck in prison. So we need to understand. If we're going to be a place of freedom and liberty, that gossip is detrimental. It's deadly to being a place of freedom. Because all it does is put people in bondage. Rather than being a place of freedom, we become the place of bondage. What you get saved into is more important than what you get saved out of. Now let me, legal disclaimer, not everything that annoys me is sin. My wife leaves the mayonnaise jar on the counter rather than putting it back in the, the refrigerator. That's not actually sin. <laughs> Some of us are questioning. So I don't need to jump all over her and say, okay, we need to get this started out. You've sinned against me. No, it's just a little annoyance. It's not sin. So the only, you can only forgive sin committed against you. Think about that. But the other side of that is you can forgive sin committed against you. See, the purpose of going to someone, this is point number two, is the restoring of relationship. Sin makes a separation. It says in verse 15, uh, and if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Again, NIV says you've won him over. That's not what it says. It means you've re been restored in relationship, you've got this relationship restored again. Not that I've convinced him that I'm right. That's not what the, the purpose is. It's not to justify yourself and to prove you're right. My wife left the manager out, and I talked to her about it, and she does it again, so I bring two others with me <laughs> to, to show her how bad it is leaving the manager out on the counter trying to justify myself, got it totally wrong. That's not what it's about. Like I said earlier, taking two or three witnesses is not witnesses to the original sin, but to your heart attitude for restoration. What are they witnessing? They're witnessing that I've come humbly, acceptingly, honoringly, and willing to forgive. Think about that. It's not a court case that we're trying to win. I'm right and Michelle's wrong. 
we did this, and, and I want everyone to know that everyone decide with me, I'm going to justify my... No, you go alone because you're talking about restoring a relationship. This is the foundation of kingdom relationships. This is what releases an atmosphere of freedom and liberty. Somebody feels like they've got a word to share, and they share, and maybe it's not incredibly anointed for you. Do you get offended? Or do you with an attitude of humility and acceptance and honoring say, hey, they tried? Or do you say, you shouldn't have shared that? Josh led a song this morning, sang, did a great job. But what if somebody went to him and said, man, you should never sing again? See, something happens. Third point. There's a grace in God for all he asks you to do. Let me tell you, there is a grace to forgive. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I can't. And I say, that's just bull. You can. His grace is sufficient. He forgave you. He had so much grace to forgive you this great debt. How can you not draw on his grace to forgive someone else? The issue isn't I can't. The issue is I don't want to. Let's call it what it is. It's selfishness. God has enough grace. And the last point, and all of it was getting to this. As Christians, we have a huge authority to bring bondage or freedom. We have a huge authority. We can put people in bondage. At the end of the story, they're both in jail. The guy who was forgiven the great debt and would not forgive his fellow servant, the fellow servant's in in jail because he can't pay it, but the guy is also in prison. Unforgiveness binds both people. A number of years ago, I was leading a church in Melbourne, and one of the gals on our leadership team called me and asked me if I'd come pray for her dad, who was in the hospital, had really, really bad arthritis, and uh, so much so that he actually couldn't get up the stairs on his, uh, his porch at his house, so he's in the hospital. She asked me to come, and I had been taught somewhere that sometimes arthritis is associated with unforgiveness or bitterness. And I knew a little bit of the story from the couple who are part of our leadership team that he had been falsely accused of taking some money when he was part of the uh, eldership of a church and kicked out of the church 10 or 12 years previous. I knew that story, so I'm going into the hospital thinking, oh, I'm sure this guy's got some bitterness, and that's part of the thing. And so I've got this whole plan of how to minister and as I walked, got off the elevator and walked into the door, the Holy Spirit said, this man has no unforgiveness or bitterness. Which you would think is a wonderful thing. But it wasn't for me. <laughs> because my plan just went out the window. And I'm going... <laughs> so we began to pray for him. And not knowing what else to do, I just began to pray in the Spirit. 
when we don't know how to intercede, the Holy Spirit intercedes. So I began to pray in the Spirit. And as I did, I began to, to pray in the Spirit and then, with some understanding, began to break curses spoken over him from other Christians. And when I finished, he said, why did you pray that? Being humble, I had to tell him the whole thing that I came with a plan and, and God told me that it wasn't and, and so I didn't know what to pray and next morning he was totally healed. See, we have incredible authority to put people in bondage or to loose captives and create a place of liberty. That's what we want to do. Bow your head, if you would. Again, I say this every week. It's not more spiritual to bow your head. We just don't want you to be distracted by other people. That you can respond to God. First and foremost, if you've been the cause of someone else's bondage, because rather than going to that person alone, you went to someone else, I'm going to ask you right now just to repent. Admit it and quit it. Say, God, I was wrong. I won't do it again. Please forgive me. But for some of us, this morning you need to move from captivity to liberty. You need to move from bondage to freedom. For some, you've received a secondhand offense. You've listened to someone else's complaint. And you are unable to get restored. You need to right now just forgive and release that person. For some, here you've been put into bondage by what others have said. Someone said to you, you're too expressive. Tone it down. Someone said to you, you're not a good enough communicator. You'll never be a preacher. Someone said, you don't have the abilities. You're not spiritual enough. Maybe you prayed in public or shared what you thought was a manifestation of the Spirit and someone criticized you. Or maybe someone's actually spoken a curse over you. Sometimes by Christians, it's not intentionally, it's inadvertently. You just need to get set free. God's calling us as a people to be a place of freedom and liberty. But in order to lead people into freedom, we have to be free ourselves. If the Holy Spirit is showing you 
an area where there's bondage, an area where you've said, I can't do that, or I'm incapable, or you've responded to something someone has said. Maybe something's happened in your life. And the result is that you've said, or agreed with the devil who said, you're never going to move into that anointing again. The word that Mary had this morning, an intimacy for men and a sharpening of the sword. God's saying he's wanting you back in the battle. You've taken yourself out because you said, I've done something that has made me unacceptable. And God's saying, no, he forgives you. Will you forgive yourself? His desire is freedom. Last quick word while your head's bowed. There's a difference between deliverance and freedom. Deliverance is a change in circumstances. Freedom is a change in thinking. You can get out of jail and still be bound. You can leave a place that is legalistic and still walk in that same uh, limitation. God doesn't just want deliverance. He wants freedom. There's an anointing that breaks a yoke, but there is a knowing of truth that sets you free. Jesus said, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If that's you, would you just respond to the Holy Spirit? Freedom. Freedom to be everything he's called us to be. Freedom to walk in obedience to his spirit. Freedom to be life and light in darkness. Will you stand with me? I have this hesitancy to have you sit there with your eyes closed too long. In case you fall asleep. We're going to be dismissed in a moment. I'm going to ask for some help here. Steve and Barb, would you step over here on this side? Lance and Christine, would you step over here? I'm going to just, I've asked these guys to pray. If you would like someone to, to pray with you. If there's some bondage that you need to be free from. These guys would love to pray with you. As we're dismissed to have some coffee and tea some fellowship and connect with one another. Let's not leave if we're still in bondage. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to liberty. That that's your desire, that your kingdom is a place not of bondage and slavery, but of liberty and freedom. And Lord, we say together as a people who are part of this church that this is a place of liberty and freedom. In Jesus' name. But Lord, we realize that part of that is that we have to live in kingdom relationship with one another. And so Lord, we do, we say, we want to recognize the importance of every single individual. We accept them and we honor them 
and we're willing to forgive. Not because we're special, but because you've forgiven us so much. That we're saturated in the love of God. Lord, right now, Holy Spirit, would you pour your love, the love of the Father in us. That we can be instruments of freedom this week in the people that we see, in the people that we meet. Rather than being part of the problem, we can be part of the solution. In Jesus' name, amen.